Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we just put out our very first specialist video. If you heard our last episode and were dying to see what the decoy coyotes of San Francisco International Airport look like and to meet Snake Lady and Wildlife One, then head on over to our website, specialistpodcast.com. Okay, here's the show. One day in about 30 minutes, my vision just went from normal to dark, like when you stand up too fast and your, your, your vision kind of blacks out. It was basically that, but it never came back. You know, if you woke up tomorrow blind, I would probably be the first person that you would start working with. I'm Casey Miner, and this is The Specialist. Aim for the tactile mats and then locate a crossing beacon and then just listen for that. I think you're going to do great. Yeah. Kat Jones and Marco Salsicha are standing at a streetcar stop in San Francisco, about four blocks from one of Marco's favorite lunch spots, Bacon Bacon. I'll just let you guess what they serve. Our objective, for Marco to walk there. What would you do if you were here working and wanted to go get lunch at Bacon Bacon? Probably cross a fourth. All right, let's do fourth. Marco's 31, tall, bearded, and dressed head-to-toe in San Jose Sharks gear. He is a super fan of the Bay Area hockey team. He works at the ride-sharing company Lyft as an accessibility specialist, helping them make their app usable for people who are visually impaired or blind, like he is. So let's have you uh, cross back to the other side of 4th, and we'll do that one more time. Kat is an orientation and mobility specialist, that's O&M for short, at the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. She trains blind and low vision people on the skills they need to get around independently, working together for as long as it takes. I think stopping there at the very base of that curb cut um, helps, not just going for it. Yeah, well that looked great. Um, Let's go ahead and and start figuring out the route to Bacon Bacon. I'd say sometimes this job feels a little bit like, you know, being a personal trainer or teaching someone how to ride a bike or, you know, dribble basketball is just a lot of it is physical repetition until you get that sort of muscle memory in place. Her job is to help Marco interpret his environment using his other senses, mainly sound and touch. So picture this, the train stop where we're standing is on an island in the middle of the street. There's a pedestrian push button on Marco's right, the kind that makes a noise, vibrates, and tells you when it's time to cross. Unfortunately, it's all the way on this side. So he has to kind of stand next to it over here if he wants to actually hear it. But the edge of the curb is way over to his left, and that's where he needs to be to cross the street. So he has to choose. Does he stand where he can hear the signal telling him when his light is green? Or does he head for the edge of the curb, feeling for the bumps on the ground that let him know he's reached it, and where drivers can see he's about to cross? How do you decide which one you're going to do? Well... This will get really loud, and in the time it takes me to get from here to this wall and orient across the street, there's enough time to also for me to listen if there are any cars that just missed it or are coming. Otherwise, I just line up and go for it. <laughs> Marco knows this place pretty well, so in this case, he actually does both. The light changes, and we go. This button's easy to hear, but let's say it wasn't. No problem. He'll just listen to the traffic. 
Interpreting that wall of sound is the first and biggest skill Kat teaches. I definitely spend a lot of time just standing at a corner with a person, listening to cars, having them point at where they hear, they, they think the car is going, and then where they think the destination corner is going to be. And then we start practicing the actual crossings themselves, too. Marco's been practicing these skills for a while now, but every new route is a new challenge. And in the two years since he lost his sight, he has never tried to walk to Bacon Bacon by himself. Ready? All right. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Marco walks in front, sweeping his long white cane out in front of him. Cat and I trail a few feet behind. So he's doing a really good job with his cane. He's going wide enough to cover his body, and he's going fast enough so that it's in time with his feet. And that's what we try to look for. Sometimes people go too narrow or they go too slow, and then that can become dangerous. They end up missing things. And that could lead to potential like running into obstacles or missing a, a drop off. We reach the corner and what I see makes me nervous. First of all, the intersection is huge. There's tons of traffic and metal streetcar tracks run down the middle. <laughs> Three lanes on either side plus the center two tracks. So this has got to be, you know, 80 to 100 feet and just barely enough time to make it over. There's a crowd of kids crossing the road towards Marco, a guy on a scooter coasting obliviously, and a truck idling right in the middle of the crosswalk. Marco's headed straight for him. This is almost comically challenging, but Kat seems totally relaxed and everything goes smoothly. Marco goes around the truck and reaches the opposite sidewalk before the light turns red. Stage one, complete. That was really good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go for you? It's <laughs> it's anxiety-inducing, but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Crossing a street, maybe it seems like a small thing, like 20 seconds of your day you forget about instantly. But I bet you like being able to do it by yourself, and Marco's no different. He'd had vision problems his whole life, starting with cancer that took his left eye when he was a kid. But that didn't stop him from doing things the way a fully sighted person would. If anything, he was an especially visual person, a game lover, movie buff, and professional animator. So on that bizarre afternoon when things started to go dark, he just figured he'd cope. He'd keep himself busy while he waited for his sight to come back. I remember I got up and I, like, I vacuumed, expecting it to come back. I took a shower. It wasn't really coming back. And at that point, I started to panic. He went to the doctor, who told him that after years of surgeries and infections, his other eye had just given out. What he could see was mostly gray. And that's just kind of how it stuck. Is that what you see now? I would say it's like, imagine a letterboxed movie. So the top and bottom portion of my vision is dark. The central vision is gray. If I'm in a sunny day, I can kind of tell it's sunny. If it's dark and gray, I can kind of tell that. And the very, very bottom portion of my vision has some sight. I can see movement. If I'm at a performance and there's a lot of light and I'm clapping, I can see my hands kind of moving. I can see a white plate on a black table, but I can't use anything of it. It's all very noisy. So he can see a very little bit, but it doesn't help him get around. Immediately, I was just trying to figure out how to live independently. Remember, his response to his vision going dark was to clean his house and take a shower. Before long, he was cooking. One of the first things I tried was scrambled eggs. 
I cracked eggs into a mug. I whipped them. I had a skillet on with some with some butter in it. Walked over to the skillet, poured the egg, completely missed the skillet. It went all over the range, <laughs> down the stove, on the floor, and I didn't notice. Um, I was pushing it around with a with a spatula. I could kind of feel some resistance, but it didn't feel like there was enough resistance when the, when the egg solidified. So when I poured it onto a plate, I realized, wait a minute, I'm missing a lot. And from that point, I vowed to just, like, things have to be different. Do you have it pretty well memorized as to where you're going? Do you remember how to get there? It's a pretty straight shot. On the route to Bacon Bacon, Marco's got an advantage. He's a visual person, he's got a visual memory, and he's spent a lot of time in this neighborhood. Kat does teach her students to work with GPS and smartphone apps that can help them find their way around new places. But right now, Marco knows where he is. Unless things have changed, I know we're standing on the corner, the Safeway's right here. There's an angled door that brings us inside the Safeway. Caltrain's right behind us. We start walking again, again staying pretty far behind Marco, maybe half a block. And I asked Kat how she handles the kind of anxiety for him I felt back at that busy intersection. Actually, I want to know if she even has any. She says, no, not really, but other people do. You know, sometimes I'll have random pedestrians just like run up and be like, stop, you're about to touch a car, or there's like a table here, you know, and they're freaking out. And I'm just like, don't worry, chill. Like, I'm a pretty chill person, and I think that works well for this job. It's just like, you know, like the cane's gonna find it, they're gonna be fine. Remember, the point of doing this work is that eventually Marco won't need her. And learning to deal with well-meaning sighted people is a skill in and of itself. Sometimes I actually do lessons where I step pretty far back from my student, um, so it looks like we're not together. Um, I call those lessons lurking lessons. Um, So I'm lurking behind them, and this gives the pedestrians around a sense that that person is by themselves. And if he looks like he's alone, a lot more people come up, and then the student gets that experience of what it's like to interact with the, the public. Pro tip here, if you see a blind person walking down the street, do not run up to them and grab their elbow and start pushing them where you think they want to go. This is a big enough problem that Marco told me there's actually a move he learned to get out of it. We learn a thing called the Heinz break, where if someone grabs my elbow, I can move my arm up across my body and that disengages their grip. Um, it, So you can stop it before they push you somewhere and you can just say, no, no, thank you. So if you see a blind person who seems like they might need help, Marco says just let them know you're there and ask if you can assist them, you know, just like you would anyone else. Looks like he found some bike racks. We catch up and find Marco's hit a wall, literally. He's gotten stuck in a corner where a building kind of juts out. I found your mommy burger. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened right there? Uh, I was hugging the wall too much. This is something Kat cautions her students against. It's tempting to stay close to the wall while you're walking because you know you're far away from the road. But that means things like driveways and oddly shaped buildings can trip you up. There's a slight beer in block (laughs) at the breezeway. But you figured it out. You got yourself out great. That's the other thing. Like, it's not a big deal if there's like a little mess up. The, The bigger thing is, can they get themselves out? I care more about that skill (laughs) than being perfect every single time because you're never going to be, even the best cane traveler in the world is going to have a lot of things happen where they're going to have to problem solve and get themselves out and that's really what's important. How do you feel like you're kind of giggling right now? Like what, how do you feel when you encounter a situation like that? Uh, It's silly. Uh, (laughs) I used to really take it, take it pretty hard. 
because uh, I'm coming from being a pretty crazy per perfectionist. And so I get pretty, when we started all of this, I was getting really angry with myself when I made a mistake like that. But now it's easier. I just, it's like, okay, it's all jazz. It's all improvisation. I've made a mistake. Let's figure this out. And, uh, and it's also, I, just, I can just imagine myself visually what it must look like with me floundering around trying to <laughs> figure it out. And that's what makes me laugh. Obstacle conquered, we continue. And after one more street crossing, we've arrived on the same block as Bacon Bacon. Now, things get more subtle. So let's go ahead and just kind of walk down the sidewalk and see what features we find as we go. So that slight slope up is the entrance to the donut shop right there. <laughs> what did you just say you were going to do? Follow my nose. <laughs> Got to use every sense I can. <laughs> Sometimes that can actually be a huge thing. Like if you pass like a particular location that smells like laundry or baked bread, you know, and it's consistently like that, it can be a decent landmark. Cat lets Marco know that the restaurant has a sandwich board outside. Might not always be there, but could be helpful. How's it smell? Oh, there it is. You can smell the bacon. Uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go past it so you just know what's right after bacon, bacon. Yeah. We walk a little farther past the edge of the building. So right here should seem a little bit different. What do you notice? It's open air. Yep. So this opens up into the McDonald's parking lot, which is right next to it. Oh, so you yeah. know if you get that breeze or that open sound that you've gotten too far. Okay. Yeah, we'll pretty see. easy to find. Marco now has all the skills and information he needs to get to Bacon Bacon on his own. When he tries again, he most likely won't need to ask anyone for help. But soliciting assistance, as he and Kat call it, is another major skill. It can seem like a paradox, becoming fully independent by learning when to rely on others. Think about riding a new bus a bit too far, or figuring out if you're on the same side of the street as that coffee shop you're trying to find. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily fully dependent on other people. It just means that they are able to quickly and swiftly interact with a public member to get a piece of information that otherwise is very challenging for them to access because they don't have that visual component. The cane is the same way. Originally, when I had all my low vision problems, I absolutely didn't want to use the cane when I could still sort of see. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I felt that it was embarrassing. Um, because it calls you out immediately that there's something wrong, um, especially being so fiercely independent that now you're using this cane as like a marker that you'll always need help. But at some point, his relationship to his cane changed. This is now my vision with this cane. This represents all my new skills. This is how I'm going to have to get around now. It's just like, yep, it's normal. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't bother me anymore because this is this is what I need to use and. It's like, okay, what's the next step? We head back towards Marco's office, and after two more crossings, tricky again, the push buttons are either too quiet or non-existent, so Marco needs to use the sound of idling engines to get across. We make it back to the building and into the lobby. So do you feel like you could go to Bacon Bacon during your lunch break on your own with some amount of confidence? Or at least with a coworker. Yeah, a coworker, I think, for now, <laughs> so I can do that reverse route. Um, Maybe if we did it one more time, you might feel like you could go on your own. Probably, yeah. Okay, cool. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>
There's a Veterans Administration film from the 1950s advocating for exactly the kind of job Kat does. It shows a blind veteran trying to go about his daily life, but being thwarted at every turn by well-meaning family members. Don't fiddle with the radio or go for a walk, they say. Let us help you. Charles, you know you can't go out alone. You might get hit by a car. Wait till Dad gets home. He'll take you for a walk. A specialist like Kat is going to get a person like Marco as far away from that as possible. So many things can be adapted. Marco has season tickets to Sharks hockey games. He uses a radio to hear them. He loves the card game Cards Against Humanity, so he's brailing his own set. And don't think that the former animator has stopped watching movies. There's a special setting on Netflix for audio description. A rift in the shape of an elongated letter R forms in darkness. Actors describe what's going on in between bits of dialogue. Light pours through, then the R solidifies, becoming metallic. Reflecting light. Regency. Yeah, that's another specialist. The Specialist is a show about work you don't think about and the people who do it. The specialists on our team include editor Julie Kane and sound designer Seth Samuel, who also writes all of our original music. And wait, there's more. Eliza Smith handles our social media. Ariel Dakovic helps us with strategy and engagement. And Alex Goldmark is always pushing us to be better. Our radio home is KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco. We got the idea for this episode from listener Jack Mitchell, who is himself training to be an orientation and mobility specialist and who sent us the VA training film from the 1950s. Thanks, Jack. And if you have ideas for us, you should be like Jack. Send them to specialistpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at the Specialist FM or Read Minor. We also really love voice memos. Record yourself talking about how you're a specialist, and we might feature you on the show. We could not make this podcast without the support of California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Find them at calhum.org. And we also couldn't make it without you. Every time you tweet us, write us an iTunes review, share your favorite episode, or donate, this project gets a little bit stronger. Thanks so much. We'll be back soon with more specialists. <laughs>